Portions of Native Roots Radio may be pre-recorded. It's a good day to be indigenous. Get up, stand up. They are going to become more brutal. Because all the hippies were trying to be Indians anyway. They're going to become more repressive because it's a matter of dollars and their illusionary concepts of power. Hey, Victor. We must live in balance with the earth. And also with recent happenings at Wounded Knee. I am awake. Welcome to Native Roots Radio Presents I'm Awake, and I'm your host, Wakanja Hade. Welcome to Native Roots Radio Presents I'm Awake, and I'm your host, Robert Pilot. We discuss local and national Native news and events, and as you know, Haley, Native issues are human issues, and human issues are Native issues. You're absolutely right, Dega, and this portion of the show is supported by the Native American Community Development Institute, Minneapolis. And then also, we have an announcement that's going to be happening tomorrow. This is the Indian month celebration from the Indian Health Board, which is going to be taking place tomorrow, May 19th. Uh, that'll be from noon to 3 p.m. And they're going to have frozen frozen yogurt trucks, themed ras- raffle baskets, a balloon artist, a live DJ, language games, bicycle raffles, a big resource fair, and then lunch is also going to be served until gone. So make sure you get there right away because we oh. all love the food. <laughs> uh, and, well, I want the I want to do the balloon artist thing. That sounds pretty cool. Um, right. And that'll hey, be located uh, at 1315 East 24th Street, Minneapolis. Right on. We'll bring that up later. Hey, we have Robert Lilligren, CEO of NAC. D. Uh, I did say that one one in a row. Very well. (laughs) Native American Community Development Institute. And thank goodness I have a good voice because, boy, my uh, reading skills are always a little to be questioned. Hey, good to see you, Robert. What's (laughs) going on? Nice seeing you, Robert. Nice seeing you, Haley. Great to be here. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. A lot going on. Lots happening on the avenue. We, We love talking to Robert because we talk about local and national politics and and events and things. And Robert's been plugged in for many years and he gives us his insight and also a lot of great information about what's going on. And I know we had maybe too many years. Maybe I've been plugged (laughs) in for too many years. Robert. (laughs) No, no, don't say that because I'm right behind you. Oh, (laughs) Hey, uh, but I am feeling it at the bad shoulder, but that's a different show, I think. Um, but, uh, you know, we could, had... It could uh, be the rain. It could be the rain. Yeah. Right? It's a bad shoulder. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's been raining for months then. Hey, uh, so uh, we had one of your uh, one of your Ho-Chunk. We had a, like a whole Ho-Chunk week last week. It was really interesting. We had Danielle DeLong on. Oh, uh, great. We had, uh, I can't think of her name off the top of my head, but the first... Uh, uh, city council member in Madison, and she was Ho Chunk oh. and uh, first Native American uh, city council member in Madison, and that was really, really excited. So we're going to have her come back too. Cool. Uh, so we 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 talked about the Four Sisters uh, Market and what's going on over there. Why don't we jump into that right now? Because a lot's happened and happening. 
I love it. Thanks. And uh, again, thanks for having me on. It's always a pleasure. And and I know that you also had one your Ho Chunk Week last week, one of the NACTI staffers, Destiny That's Jones, our Ho Chunk sister, who who manages our Four Sisters Farmers Market and supports our food sovereignty work, Four Sisters Food Sovereignty. And she's just uh incredibly talented young native professional. And we're just 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 our type at NACTI, who's she's really going places, you know. So, uh, so we have our Four Sisters, where Four Sisters Farmers Market is what we're kind of known for. And, uh, <laughs> excuse me, market season is just about to come on. Uh, it starts, and I'm just trying to grab the right date, and I had it here a second ago, uh, June 1st. It's yes. Thursday is from 11 a.m. to 3 p.m. Right there at our yellow building where Powell Grounds is and our All My Relations Arts Gallery. So I invite people to stop on down there. And if folks are interested in being vendors there, you can go to the NACDI website and just follow the links to Four Sisters as a vendor application. So people are welcome to apply. And uh, as you know, it's kind of a happening place on the American Indian Cultural Corridor. Lots of folks show up. Yeah. You know, uh, I, I love it. And I, I put in the suggestion box, Robert, is that, uh, you guys should buy one of those big uh, uh, tents, you know, like they have over stadiums and have it year round uh, in the park. Oh, my gosh. That would what be awesome. awesome. Well, and in our longer term vision of our Four Sisters Food Sovereignty work, uh, having a bricks and mortar uh, produce and uh, indigenous butcher shop is part of our, our vision. That's a little further out, but we are always expanding. The market grows every year. And now we have our Four Sisters Urban Farm as part of our umbrella of Four Sisters Food Sovereignty work. And that is up and running. And I know that when Destiny was here last week, she was previewing or promoing an event that took place at the farm on Saturday, mm -hmm. which was incredible. And it was our uh, spring welcoming and food sovereignty celebration. Uh, there was maybe, I don't even know how many, a dozen uh community orgs that were partnering on it. It was the kind of community building that you just love seeing, you know, and and everybody there credited the Four Sisters Farm and NACTI's work there as a, as a magnet to bring that kind of community together. It was great. We gave away plants. We had a blessing. We had a song. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was just, it was really something. You know, and that area too uh, was a little little dark until you guys came there and that's it's so exciting that how something like that can kind of flip an area in a neighborhood you are exactly right robert and i'd lived just a few blocks from there for 36 years and it was just this magnet of violent crime and drug dealing and and it's owned by our county here hennepin county uh their rail authority and they had tried for decades these different strategies to try to just calm that down the local neighbors tried everything and a few years back they came to NACDI and they asked if we'd be interested in farming there or if we knew somebody that would and i was like oh i don't know you know that's a <laughs> tough little spot and uh, after negotiating for quite a while they essentially gave us the and they didn't, not ownership but access to it to start establishing our farm and we've been at it for several years now this is kind of the first big scale up where there's going to be some real production 
going on and the neighbors loved it. I mean, these guys that live around there, my old neighbors literally hauled concrete barriers out to block the streets, just trying to drive away some of the drug dealing and violent crime. And, you know, we started there in ceremony, in prayer. Uh, once we were there doing ceremony, prayer and gunfight bro gunfire broke out right next to us and bullets are flying through the leaves and we all just stood there nobody hit the ground it was like we're protected here and it's, it's just a different story in just a few short years and uh and it's just wonderful to contribute to that kind of positive relationship to land yeah definitely uh and just back to the market too uh mm -hmm. Uh, it, it's a great place to spend an hour if you have lunch, nice out, um, running into people I haven't seen maybe all winter or in a while, and um, just a, a lot of fun. And I know they're planning on more music. I know the opening last year or the last few years, you've had bands out there, and I heard the Pretendians are going to be out there. And uh, mm -hmm. so it's, it's yeah. going to be a festival. We have a DJ that specializes in vintage native music that's going to be spinning at the opening. And, and it is. It's just a place for community to come together. It's providing great access to good food for the whole community right around there. We have hooked in all kinds of support for people to be able to buy uh, healthy foods. You can mm -hmm. leverage your dollar maybe two or three times right. uh, through different programs we have going there. But it is just a place to – it's so nice on the – avenue on the american indian cultural quarter to have a real place to meet and greet and see and be seen and <laughs> get just gather together in community exactly and uh for for me to gander up some votes for next election oh there you go <laughs> always the politician aren't you, Robert? <laughs> yeah <laughs> i learned from the best oh <laughs> yeah well, there's so much more going on and we got like a minute left here and I want to really get into that. But, you know, I think if people have not been there, I know people from all over the country come to the powwow grounds and to, and to uh, the, uh, all, all my relations art gallery as a, a stopping point. So I just want to welcome everyone there. Maybe we can just give the address one more time, especially to our yeah, people sure. that live in Wisconsin. Yeah, it's 1414 East Franklin. It's right on the corner of Franklin Avenue and 15th Street. You can't miss it. It's a bright yellow building. And also, my, there's so much going on for Indian Month, right? So we have our open house next Tuesday, the 23rd, 1130 to 2. Everyone's welcome. Lunch, music, fun, drawings. It's a party, and it just helps build the community and really embrace American Indian Month in Minnesota. It's not November. We celebrate November as well, but in Minnesota, we have American Indian Month in may so if folks want to stop on down uh next tuesday for lunch that would be great that's perfect and uh i recommend you get a balloon artist because that sounds pretty exciting at the other uh, event that we talked about but hey we're here with robert lilligren ceo of nac d native american community development institute and here in the minneapolis and the twin city areas we'll be right back after this short break stay with us ho Welcome back to Native Roots Radio Presents. I'm Oik and I'm your host, Robert Pilot. This portion of the show is supported by the Native American Community Clinic on Franklin Avenue in Minneapolis, honoring health and tradition. 
Yes, they do. They do great work over there. Um, and again, uh, Friday, there's uh, happenings over there from 10 to 3, and it's Indian month, so we're all excited about that. I'm here again with Robert Lilligren, CEO of NACT, uh, and we're talking about what's happening on the avenue and the great history and the great vibe in the garden. Um, let's talk a little bit, if you don't mind, let's go into the the political realm here because we talk a little bit about uh i'm proud to be a minnesotan and i'm in the living in the twin cities and i live in st paul but there's things happening that people are moving here because of the laws are changing uh, mm-hmm. in other states there's things that are happening really progressively here uh we have a, a trifecta at the capitol for us and you know, there's an election every year in Minneapolis, right, Robert? Oh, yeah. Well, we're busy, yeah. And so the trifecta that Robert's talking about is, of course, our governor, governor's office, our Senate, and our House are all controlled by the Democratic Party, or here we have the Democratic Farmer Labor Party, or, or GFL. And man, those guys are governing for efficiency this session. More stuff has got done this session than I've seen in decades. And... Uh, and I was just talking to someone about this earlier today who was who didn't like something that was happening. But I think whether you like it or not, I think people appreciate when something gets done in government. So these guys have just doing an amazing job. And I happen to agree with most of what they're doing. Right. I have a question, too. Like, let's say we, we uh, found out that the, the saving the wolf bill wasn't in the in the um, obvious bill for next time. Can that be brought up next year and next session? And and how does that work? Do they take a session off uh, for bills or or is it straight through for next year? Yeah, it, I, anything's fair game. You know, anything that you can get the majority of votes for, I guess, is, is fair game. And I'm not a state legislative expert, but but yeah, so it can come up next year. It can continue to come up. Often that's the pathway a bill takes. Uh, it may take more than one session to gain all the support that it needs. This year happens to be a bonding year, whether they bond or not. Uh, and so that's every other session is a bonding year. But even in a bonding year or an off bonding year, you know, pretty much anything policy related can be brought up. Yeah, that's good. And I know uh, we have that great bill and we have that office for missing and murdered indigenous uh, right. relatives. And that took uh, a year or so to get through. And it's a bipartisan bill now, you know, or right. and support. Yep. That's a great example. And then, you know, at first there's the policy piece, right? Do we create this office or not? This office for missing and murdered indigenous relatives. And and then once that threshold's met, then it's putting money toward it, right? And that's always another conversation. And so really um, hats off to now Senator Mary Kunesh for starting that when she was in the House and seeing that through and making sure that that continues to gain that bipartisan support that you're talking about. Now, now it's a normal thing, right, to right. talk about, which, which it should be an elevated conversation. So that's a really good example. And she's really pushing the license plate, too, that could help support uh, rewards for missing and murdered Indigenous women and relatives, uh, which I think is a brilliant idea because I want to get one of those plates. Right, right, right. And so that's another, you know, the, the policy is one thing, the money's another thing. Mm-hmm. So hats off to, to our Native legislators who are 
and all and our allies who are really moving this forward. Yeah. You know, and we talked a little bit uh, about how it seems like every year now we have an election in Minneapolis. We and, do. And people are watching us. Right. So it's seven years in a row we'll have elections every year. Sometimes municipal, you know, state, of course, next year it's the uh, federal elections and state elections, a big year. But every single year for seven years, we have elections here in Minneapolis. And we're about in the middle of that right now, maybe the third third year. And so so at our organization, NACTI, we have our Make Voting a Tradition project. It's almost 10 years old, and it's a year-round political and civic engagement effort we're not just the local urban Indian community. We're now sta- statewide, expanding statewide and looking for more partners uh, in the greater Minnesota area. And then we're part of national conversations about what these native specific strategies might look like uh, in 2024. And, and it's interesting. And so here in Minneapolis, we have about the lowest touch elections this year. It's strictly city council no mayor even, no other municipal offices. And so so we're really getting a flavor for how these different parts of the city, wards we call them, like districts, are thinking politically. And, and we've had quite a shift to the left in our municipal government, especially since George Floyd was murdered here. And then we have the status quo that's, you know, well, the status quo always defends itself. So they're strategizing, you know, to, to retain power and sort of message that these these socialists or these left left more left politicians are just a a blip and they don't really represent the city. But but numbers show, you know, show something going on here in the city. And so so I happen to think this isn't just a blip and this is a philosophical, political, and generational shift. And I think we're gonna see a similar kind of dynamic in the national elections next year. You know, it's interesting that you say that because I feel like in our lifetime, we've gone through many, many shifts. And, you know, being a child of the 60s uh, with, uh, you know, with uh, human rights, African-American, Native rights, BIPOC rights, um, yeah. and we've gone all the way up to, you know, uh, you know, gay marriage was a thing 10 years prior to that was like, oh, no, that's a hot button. Don't touch. Don't touch right. that. And it's become a, just a reality. You know, those right. are things in our life. Just a couple examples in our lifetime right. that right. seem so off topic is now just natural. Right. Yeah. Marriage equality became the law of the land. The sky didn't fall. You know, <laughs> the earth didn't crumble. Everything kind of just went on. Right. So we learned something. And and, you know, and here in Minnesota, we have a very robust, progressive sort of population. We also have a very robust, conservative population. In just my experience, my few decades in the political world, there were always these alternative parties that tried to build up, you know, the, the progressive party, progressive Minnesota, and things like that. And so, so that's, that's just part of our political culture mm-hmm. here. But I'll tell you, back in 2008, kind of a, you know, when I was deeply involved in politics and I was a delegate to the Democratic National Convention in Denver, that was the year that we nominated then Senator Obama for president. And man, you could feel that generational current. We talked about it a lot. You know, I was kind of more in the middle now. I'm definitely on the older, the elder side of the 
<laughs> the ledger, but then I was kind of in the middle, like a bridge between generations. And we were very serious, you know, and I really saw what I then called and still call the new electorate activating. And it's like, okay, now how do we transfer to that? You know, how do we support this shift? And, you know, it's been kind of bumpy on the way and, you know, we're maybe partway there, but ultimately it's a numbers game, right? There's more votes in that sector now. Right in the old sector, and so we gotta figure it out, and and how we do this in a good and orderly way. You know, and I'm a broken record, and especially when we're talking, is that we have so much uh, uh, gratitude to the Gen Gen Xers. You know, uh, really, and they're paying attention, and they're realizing that they're not going to live as long, they're not going to own houses, they're not going to go to college unless they own. Uh, two house uh, payments and um, they're, they're engaged. And this is, I think the last year that the the boomers are going to outnumber them. Right. Right. And so, and uh, it's just been very interesting. I've been kind of splicing and dicing some uh, municipal election results over the last year or so. And, and you can just see, you know, we had a referendum here in Minneapolis to reform our government from a strong council system to a strong mayor that prevailed very mm-hmm. close election by a majority of wards in the city voted against it. And so huh. when you look at the demographics of those wards, the ones who voted against it tended to be browner, poorer, younger. The ones that voted for it that ultimately passed it, a minority of wards, I will say, I will add, were older, whiter, uh, richer. Mm. And so to me, you're seeing that, you know, that status quo desperately trying to cling to to power while there's a whole nother electric churn. Wow. And it's interesting. Obama was our age, and I, I always kind of felt that he was a centrist, and he kind of proved that in a lot of different ways. I think, well, for, he was younger than us, or at least than me. He was the first president, <laughs> even way back then, that was ever younger than me, and I thought that was pretty cool. And uh, and I think, you know, he had to, you have to, you have to govern from somewhere that you can govern from. Right. right. And so if that's from the center, you know, this is sort of a country that balances between center right, center left, and then people outside of that spectrum influence what goes on within that center. Right. But uh, uh, I, I wonder if uh, Obama was just your drinking buddy or your next door neighbor, you know, what you'd hear from, uh, from him politically then. Or when he's president and trying to govern an entire country. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know that whole story uh, that I was uh, talking about when I was going to tell him to free Leonard Peltier. I had a, a opportunity to have my picture taken with with Obama, and uh, I, the story goes: Oh, I'm going to tell him, tell him to tell Joe Biden this and this and that. And then I get into the room. We're first in line. Me and another legislator. He hands his, uh, puts his hands out to shake your hand, smiles and asks how you're doing. I wanted to hug him and kiss him. And then, next <laughs> thing, you know, all this went down and then, and then I shook his hand, took his picture. And then 13 se- seconds, I was whisked away. <laughs> but yeah. it was like, I was going to yeah. tell him what's up. And then, and then his charisma yeah. just hit me. It was like, oh my God. You're odd by his star power. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I got well, to spend little bits of time with him a couple of times. He was a very powerful president. Yeah, definitely. 
Robert, do do you need to get going because I know you got a meeting coming up, or do you have time for one more segment? You know, I can hang for a bit. Sure. Okay, let's do one more segment. Hey, we're here with Robert Lilgren, CEO of NADD, uh, Native American Community Development Institute here in the Twin Cities, and we're having our weekly conversation. We'll be right back after this short break. Stay with us. Hey, welcome back to Native Roots Radio Presents. I'm Awake, and I'm your host, Robert Pilot. This portion of the show is supported by the Minnesota Indian Women's Sexual Assault Coalition. Hey, we're here with Robert Lilligren, and I know uh, we're going to make this 12-minute segment go really fast. <laughs> um, but we, uh, we're really, I always have a good time when we talk, Robert, and um, and you get me energized, and we talk a lot of way things were the way things are our history of our people the history of the country i love history so uh it's always fun to talk to you and uh and and just just to see what's going on now and compared to when we were younger and all those things uh so i appreciate you being on and we were we were talking a, a little politics there and a little obama and how how things have changed over the years and uh and I don't know if we've talked about this, but I read somewhere that there's like an 80-year cycle. And whether it's like fascism comes up in the United States and goes down. And they talk about that all the way from the Civil War because in a lot of sense, uh, that war was about slavery and economic development and right and wrong and left and right. And then we've had like an 80-year cycle or a 40 year cycle ever since have you ever heard anything like that yeah the 40 year cycle idea i've heard a little about that i'm not really a political scientist or historian i'm more of a practitioner but i do believe it's cyclic right we do see it i've heard that 40 year which would then you know be uh consistent with an 80 year cycle and uh and to me, it's interesting to be in one, you know, we must be peaking in some sort of cycle around yeah. division and polarization. And, and I think that's been part of our political culture from the beginning of this country, but it really is spiking right now. And and to be living in it is a little less fun than, than reading about it as history, right? And But it's about seeing how our public figures, our politicians, you know, how they express themselves, right? And that kind of mm-hmm. gives permission to broader communities to to express themselves and the kind of blatant racism anti-semitism homophobia anti you know transphobia that we're seeing today i never thought we'd see like we were talking about in the last segment i didn't know that we would move towards age marriage equality so quickly mm-hmm. that good, but i this backlash of you know we had a black president and right. you know, so all of a sudden we have this incredibly racist culture. We have marriage equality and we have this incredibly homophobic movements going on, you know, the anti-Semitic movements, the anti-trans movements. You know, this thing about drag queens, you know, what difference does it make? Well, I guess to some people it makes a lot of difference. Right. And that's rooted in misogyny, homophobia, transphobia. Well, you know, and it's shocking. I heard a great quote yesterday, and I can't remember what uh, it was. A local politician in a different state uh, that they were 
really going to hammer down on abortion rights. And, uh, oh, yeah. and she said something very interesting that is just one of those common sense things that we don't think of because we're in the middle of the battle. But she said, uh, I don't remember women asking you uh, for help in this. Right, right. I it's mean, been, oh, it's exactly the point, right? And it's, you know, it just shows again that uh, misogyny, sexism, it's hurting people, it's killing people. Right. You know, and so you have this sort of sanctity of life believers that are really pushing an agenda that's really killing people. And so, so it's inconsistent. It was settled law, incredibly popular law. There was no reason for it to be overturned by the Supreme Court, you know, Supreme Court with a, a very clear agenda to be taking people's rights away. And so I think that means everybody should be concerned about what rights they're going to be losing under this kind of a regime. Well, you know, and we talk, we're not uh, political scientists, but we talk about a little bit about what we experienced in the, the religious right in uh, the Reagan era was the beginning of this. And of this, right, of this period, right? This, so you talk about those cycles. Right. And this right. kind of puritanical po- politics has always been. Part of, so yeah, remember all that? The moral majority, which was neither right. moral nor a majority in the contract for America, you know, Newt, 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 Newt Gingrich. Gingrich's big plan. I mean, that was really the framework that we're living in today. The, and they named it the contract on America. That's what oh, it had right. to be. The contract on America. That's well, right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And, and we know that, you know, he divorced his wife while uh, she was uh, in the hospital with cancer and still still was a great Republican leader as far as they were concerned. Uh, yeah. And then I, those are things that I think about. And I also think about like Reagan deregulated so many things. Uh, there was a middle class at that time. And now there isn't a middle class because of the unions aren't as strong as they were when we were kids. Um, your yeah. dad was in a union at CCO, I'm yeah. sure. There, yeah, you know. he retired from it. Yeah, and I was a, and I was a teacher, and uh, so it, it's amazing that one of the deregulations is uh, media. And if you remember right. back then, you could only own two stations in one state. Right. Yep. And that's why the Hubbard broadcasting was all over the five state area and uh, CCO was their own element. They weren't owned by CBS. And um, and those are the things that we're kind of fighting back now because God, Rush Limbaugh had a popular audience for so many years because of that. Right. Well, in the deregulation of media, I mean, just look at all the Reagan era de- deregulation efforts, the airlines, whatever, the one we live with day in and day out here is was the deregulation of the social safety network, especially for people with mental illness or addiction oh. or in experiencing homelessness. And now we have these enormous homelessness encampments, people living unsheltered, relatives living unsheltered, because there isn't the robust support that they that folks require to live in a safer, more sustainable way. That was all Reagan deregulation, his political cronies applauded it at the time and now a few decades later we're still living with the the outcome you know and i'm glad you brought that up because i don't think people talk about that uh, enough that that deregulation helps uh spur this you know whether it's uh people that shouldn't have guns or people that are homeless and that can Mm -hmm. and you know with uh mental illness that need uh help 
I know we, we, we refer back to the law of forgotten natives, but there was a lot of people there that uh, felt safe there and not safe in other situations where possibly, you know, if, if we were back to the prior to Reagan deregulation, they'd have a place to live and, and feel safe. Right. They'd have a place to be in community, right? And that's what I felt was happening at the Wall of Forgotten Natives. People had community there. It wasn't necessarily healthy or safe, but it was community. And just last night, Robert, I, we had this, I had this opportunity as, as a member of our Metropolitan Council, which is our regional governing body here, five-county, uh, I'm sorry, rather, seven-county metro uh, government. And uh, we had presentations from our young leaders' uh, interns and they were working in policy areas, and these are young people, high school age, who are uh, incredibly interested in public policy and how public policy can support progress. And a lot of the groups, there were maybe 10 of them, presented on um, housing or intersections of like housing and transportation or housing and jobs. And what so many of them lifted up was housing is not just accessible because it's affordable, but it helps build community, builds play, a sense of place, connection to the land, connection, you know, feelings of belonging. Mm -hmm. So this idea of community was just really prominent in so many of these presentations. And, and where in policy do we address that? You know, we talk about affordable housing as being 30% of the metropolitan median income or right. X percentage of someone's, someone's monthly household income. But where do we say? This housing is supporting building community or building a sense of belonging. Wow. And that's what these young people were asking for. Wow. Wow. I, I really need to think about that. That's pretty, that's really deep and has a lot of little antennas out there for thought. Lots of them. You can go to the Metropolitan Council website. If you look at the Committee of the Whole Agenda, you can see every one of their presentations. They are breathtaking. Mm. Wow. <laughs> That is breathtaking. You know, Haley, uh, I know you uh, are listening intently and running things in the background here. Do you ever have a question for Robert at all? And it's okay if you don't, because I know you're working hard back there, but it's a, a, amazing to have people like Robert on the show. And Haley's been working with us for uh, three weeks now, and we've been just wow. uh, having kick butt uh, guests as usual. And it's just been a, like a learning experience. And it always is for me, right, Haley? Absolutely. No, I agree 100%. And, and I'm always very grateful for you, Dega, and this opportunity to come work with you guys and, and talk to people like you, Robert, who um, are just doing so much in the community. And um, yeah, it's, it's like a free little class for me. <laughs> so I love learning. And this is amazing. So. And me, and me too. I appreciate that, Haley. It's a, I'm a constantly remi remi uh, remembering things and learning things when we talk, Robert. <laughs> yeah, no, cool. And Haley, it's great to be here with you. And, uh, and it's great to be on the show. I, I uh, have been joking lately, and maybe you've heard this already, but I've been a lot more, what? I, my mom would have said mouthy lately. <laughs> I think maybe I'd say forthcoming or direct, but... Uh, the people around me are kind of supporting it. And they go, this is what we expect from our elders. We want this kind of directness, you know, this this guidance. And, and so I don't want to be a crab apple all the time, but I'm much more <laughs> speaking my mind and 
uh, like I said, both with my native uh, relatives and, and outside the native community, I'm getting a lot of positive feedback about it. So, so watch out. <laughs> uh-huh. Well, I think, I think what's really great from that, for that, it, it really and seriously, because I've always appreciated people that are that way. And you know, Wendy's from New York, so she's always that way. But oh, sure. you never really, you never really have to guess where you're coming from. And I do right. too, seriously appreciate that. Yeah. I really do. Cool. Right, right. Well, and I, you know, as I've expressed concern, you know, I've I've built a public profile and a career on being a nice guy, right? And so, so how far can I push that before I lose lose ground? So I guess we'll find out. Well, if you say it with a smile, like we said, Lean always did. You got them. You got the ones that are worried, confused, and the other ones are going, "Go get them, Robert." (laughs) Say it with a smile and a laugh, like Marlene Halgamon. That's right. Hey, thanks so much, Robert. Uh, it's always so great to have you on um, and can't wait to talk again. You're listening to Native Roots Radio Presents I'm Awake and Peeny Gigi Robert uh, Lilligren of Native American Community Development Institute. We'll be right back after the short break. Please stay with us. Hey, uh, welcome back to Native Ritz Radio Presents. I'm awake and I'm your host, Robert Pilot. This portion of the show is supported by Howling for Wolves, protecting wolves for future generations. Howling. Wow. Hey. <laughs> Part two, Wendy. Yeah, uh, this one's going to be a lot better, a lot <laughs> happier and lighthearted. You know, I, Robert, I didn't even realize that I, I didn't even, I wasn't even planning on talking about the squirrels. Well, that's what's great about live radio. You can just kind of. really heavy on my mind and it really honestly, um, you know, when you see something like that and you see an animal struggle and really suffer like that, it really, to me, really, I just can't even watch it. I mean, it was heartbreaking. I, it was like, do we have a 40 foot ladder in our house? I was right. going to go on our property and get the squirrel down, you know, exactly. Um, you know, so it's just, it's just a hard thing. I'm, I'm glad we look today. I, I mean, I've, I made kind of a ruckus. I've called that company and told them what's happening and talked to them about the squirrels and my concern and i don't see any traps up there now now there might be traps up there they might be like you know what we need to get these traps out of these people's view <laughs> and they might put the you know put them somewhere else but um yeah so anyway there's always a there's always a more humane way to do things sometimes it might be a little bit harder it takes a little bit longer but there's always the humane way to to do things and and that's what i want people to think about you know because these companies robert they they tell you we do it the most humane way possible we relocate this we uh relocate the squirrels where there's food sources you know this is what this guy was telling me so he's telling me all these good things but so we're going to do another segment on this or no, I'm no, I'm not. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm not. No, what I'm I do talking about no, it. I'm and not, I have a fun wait, story I want to share. Give me one second. I want to just say one thing. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, it's horrific. To, it was a horrific experience for both of us. And, mm-hmm. um, these are our relatives and I just want to throw that out there too, because, 
everywhere I looked to break them out, Wendy, it said that how inhumane, inhumane it was to put them in a different area. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to say that. Right. That, you said article after article that you looked up how yeah. inhumane that was to relocate them because they are so territorial. All right. Thank that, you. Okay. All right. <laughs> Enough about the squirrels. Stay with us. Yes, exactly. So a lot of you may have heard about the bald eagle named Murphy. Yes. Yes. He's been all over the internet. Um, so he's from Missouri and he lives in a sanctuary, the world bird sanctuary in Missouri. So Murphy has been there for a really long time because he has a broken wing or a wing that's deformed or something. Well, he can't fly. So he's been there. He's 31 years old. And what happened about a month ago was because the weather changes and, you know, it's, it's like um, the season to have babies and stuff. Um, Murphy found a rock that he was incubating. Wow. So what they found was Murphy went and he found a bunch of sticks and he's on the ground, right? Because he can't fly. So he's not in a tree or anything, but he, he kind of made this little nest that he thought was a nest. It, did, it wasn't much of a nest, but he put the rock in there and he was incubating the rock. He would get up and turn the rock. Would he would he sit on the rock. rock. He would, he would squawk at the other eagles that would come around Jeez. to say, you know, to protect the rock. And he really, you know, did this and, you know, the sanctuary thought, well this is so cute and everything but how sad is it that he thinks this rock is going to hatch and have a baby eagle and as far as the sanctuary go knows he's never had any uh eaglets of his own uh and just to to say um eagles bald eagles together the male and the female co-parent so they're both very involved um, and this is this explains Murphy's behavior, right? Yeah. Uh, so what happened was um, they found an eaglet uh, that's mom died. Come on. Yeah. So they did. That's so awesome. Yeah. So they brought the they took the rock out, right? They had to sneak the rock out when Murphy wasn't looking, right? And they re- and they put this eaglet behind kind of a little bit of a fence so that Murphy could see him, but not really touch him because honestly, they really didn't know how he was going to react when he saw it. You know, he could have killed it really. Right. But what happened was Murphy is turning out to be a pretty good stepdad. Oh yeah. He's feeding the eaglet and is on his best behavior. And he's really, um, bonding with this little eaglet and there's so many pictures on the internet so all you have to do is is google murphy eagle and it'll tell you about the whole story and it really is quite heartwarming um and just show goes to show like and how animals really want to nurture and care for the young right and bring in he's feeding the little eagle it's really 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 cute it's adoring adorable and it's just like a really really heartwarming story um i have another story it's um kitten season uh so it's kitten season right now and um i'm gonna go bad news now so bad news but then i'm gonna go good news so okay so saint paul and minneapolis animal care and control is getting more kittens um and cats right now than they know what to do with they have more cats so this is the first time in years that they're euthanizing cats oh my god because they just don't have enough room no they're 
there's just not enough people out there who want cats wow. right so they're overwhelmed with these cats and it's also kitten season so all the rescues are really looking for fosters mm. so if you have room in your house and you could foster honestly robert i would foster but right now we have three sick animals in our house so we really and so can't. it's really like six animals it is it's a lot but anyway if you could foster it's really helpful and um when you're when you foster you're really saving two animals lives right, right? you've Saving the animal that you're fostering so that animal does not um, get euthanized. And you're also making room for another animal to come in to rescue. Exactly. So, yeah. So also, baby bunnies are being born right now. Oh, my God. You know, bun yeah. bunnies, I'm sorry. I'm going to say this on the air. They're no. not the smartest animals. Oh. So listen, they make their nest in the ground, like in the middle of your yard. Our, our neighbor who moved away, she used to have a hunting dog, and the hunting dog would go out there every day, every day, every day. What did she have in her backyard? The bunny. The bunny built a nest in the middle of her yard when there's, yeah, when there's uh, a hunting dog on the property every day. Like, that's not very smart, no. I'm sorry to say. But our neighbor was really awesome. What she did was she put, like, a, a little fencing around the... Really? Yeah, she put a fence around the nest uh, so the dog couldn't get in it, but the mother bunny can go in and out of the nest and feed her young, right? Mm -hmm. So I was really happy about that. But, you know... Um, what. A lot of people will see a lot of people will see the baby bunnies in the nest in the ground hmm. um, and say, oh, my God, I have to rescue them. I need to bring them, you know, somewhere. But you don't leave them alone. What you want to do is make like a um, what they say is like get some twigs and put them around uh, the nest or get some yarn and put it around the nest hmm. or put flour around the nest so that you'll be able to see whether the mom is going back and forth and feeding the the babies, right? Wow. You could also, if the mother, mother's not around, you could pick up one of the babies, turn them upside down and look at their belly. And if you see a nice little round belly, you know that the uh, bunny has milk in it and you Whoa, know that the bunny is the? safe Jeez. if right and and you could pick up the bunny the mom's not going to say oh i'm not taking care of my baby anymore because a human touched it that doesn't happen so you want to keep your animals out of the area uh, avoid uh, use grass twigs to make a little tic-tac-toe pattern over the nest uh, to assess whether the mother is returning to nurse the young. Uh, leave them alone. If you really know that the mom's not coming along, you know, coming around and feeding the babies and you turn them upside down and the, ba and the baby's belly is really skinny, you want to call your local uh, wildlife rehabilitation center to take further action all right on wendy hey peeny geeky for being on half the show it's like the old days of pilots progressive party i have more do you want more <laughs> <laughs> next next week all right or maybe even tomorrow hey if you're listening to the show you're part of the resistance free leonard peltier now we are the seventh generation <laughs>